Welcome to Season 13 of the Art of Teaching podcast. My name's Matthew Green and I'm so glad that you joined me today. Before we get started with our discussion, I would like to acknowledge the Darawa people, the traditional custodians of this land on which I'm recording, and pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. Today I have another very special episode for you. Melanie McMillan and Danielle Porter are both public school principals who were worthy recipients of a scholarship from the Public Education Foundation. The Public Education Foundation's Harvard Club of Australia Education Scholarship enables three principals of Australian government primary schools or secondary schools to undertake a short professional program at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. The Public Education Foundation is an incredible not-for-profit organisation which is dedicated to providing life-changing scholarships to leaders in public education and enhancing the value and reputation of public schools across the world. Melanie also happens to be my boss and she has impacted my career in more ways than she will ever know. I hope that you enjoy this conversation with the incredible Melanie and Danielle. Melanie McMillan and Danielle Porter, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much um, for joining me. Mel, where are you phoning in from today? I'm at home. Um, I live in the back of Liverpool in Sydney, New South Wales, and I'm the proud principal of Blairmount Public School, which is also in southwestern Sydney, um, uh, uh, in a, a, an area called Blairmount, but we attract the suburbs of Blair Athol and Claymore. Absolutely. And for those people that are listening, Mel is my wonderful principal. I also work at Blaymount Public School. It is the greatest place to work and it's a wonderful school community. And uh, uh, Danielle, where are you phoning in from? Um, You're not in New South Wales, are you? No, no. I'm also phoning in from home. I'm phoning in from Canberra and I am the proud principal of Chalmwood Dunlop School, which is located in West Belconnen. And um, caters for children who live in both Charmwood and Dunlop suburbs. And uh, what sort of demographic is that school, Danielle? Um, is it ours as a, a a changing demographic at Blaymount? Um, is yours the same? Is it, yeah, tell me a little bit about your um, cohort of wonderful students. Yeah, um, ours is also a changing demographic, although um, we do have an Ixia kind of below average, which, you know, ACT is a pretty affluent um, area so so we are um probably you know more working class kind of so although changing with increasing house prices as per everywhere right yeah yeah interesting and mel i was just wondering is there a book that you have read uh recently it could be within your sphere of expertise in education or it could be more broadly that has caused you to stop and just reconsider a few things in your life Great question. Okay. Professionally, Bren Brown, Dare to Lead. Yeah. Personally, 22 when I was doing three unit um, English for the HSC many, 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 many years ago. Um, at that time, as an 18 year old, it really changed my way of thinking. And I've reread that book 
many, many times since then, uh, you know, the first page on Off by Heart. So really interesting concepts for an 18-year-old and then to revisit, um, you know, many, many years later as a 50-year-old. And Mel, is it one of those books that you've partly answered this question, but is it one of those books that you've read multiple times and you've got something different out of it each time, if that makes sense? For sure. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, an 18-year-old's perspective, um, it, it was the first time I completely understood symbolism and uh, different meanings of um, words and stories and visions. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was visionary, the book. Uh, and as a 50-year-old, um, you know, I, I agree with that. The the symbolism of the of the story and the narrative is, um, um, you know, profound, yeah. uh, but I see it in such a different light. It's really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, my two books that uh, really made me reconsider a few things, well, the two of them, like I said, is Wellbeing in Schools by Professor Andy Hargraves um, and also 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. I don't know if any of you have read that, mm-hmm. but it sounds um uh very very um depressing but we have basically we have four thousand weeks on this wonderful earth um and at first read I thought oh my gosh that's so morbid but it really does teach you I think the importance of just making the most of all of these moments and um yeah I um he is uh, coming on soon which should be really wonderful I think to talk to him just about how do you prioritize what's important in a life that is really short um but um, yeah, we won't go down too far that track. It seems very philosophical for uh, seven thirty in the <laughs> evening. Um, but Danielle, I was just wondering if you could have a dinner party uh, with anybody, um, who would you like to be there? And your wonderful family doesn't count in the head count; um, they get a free pass. Uh, but who would you love to sit down and have a meal with? So, someone I've had a bit of a professional crush on for probably the last ten years <laughs> is Sagata Mitra. Yep. And um, actually, in preparation for, for this podcast, I did go back and have another look at his TED Talk yeah. about um, the future of education. And even though now that's kind of getting a little bit dated, it kind of really resonated with me again, yeah. um, just listening to it recently, because that that um, kind of dreaded beast of the internet is permeating every part of all of our lives and I think I still think in education we've been a bit slow to harness it and particularly I think for us in primary schools we're kind of um bit kind of trying to push it out we haven't really we haven't really um kind of grasped that notion about that it's such a strong communication tool for young people that all the knowledge in the world is sitting there in the palm of your hand literally mm. yet we're still sometimes getting bogged down we're doing some pretty um archaic ways of learning and so just watching that again recently what resonated most for me was the just in time learning instead of yeah. the just in case learning and it kind of made me Love think that. about some of the stuff we are doing in schools yeah, yeah. Mm. I remember, if I remember correctly, Mel, I was in a, I think I was at a planning day with you and you were very excited because um, Sagatra Mitra had either reposted or mentioned you on Twitter. Is that correct? Or am I remembering that? Yeah, 2016, was... <laughs> uh, it's still my favourite Twitter moment ever or X moment as it is now. So what is it, Mel, for yourself that makes his work so 
um, meaningful. Why were you so excited to um, hear for his educational icon book? But what is it about his work that's so meaningful to you? What, what, what great words that Danielle just said, um, just in time instead of just in case. Did I quote it correctly, Danielle? Yeah. yeah. And it's completely what we're missing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, data talks, yeah. uh, looking at student mm -hmm. need, planning for it. it. There's still two week cycles. It's not uh, insta instantaneous. This is what this child needs right now. Yeah. And that comes, I think, with a lot of uh, experience, deep yeah. knowledge of the content, those sorts of things. And, um, you know, how, how, what an inspirational person because how do we get there? How do we get all of our people on board to be able to have that level of experience, that level of understanding of the curriculum, of the syllabus? I think the, the most freshest brand new teacher would know that's what we want to do in our um, curriculum, but they don't know how to do it well yet. Yeah. So what a, what a challenge. How exciting. Absolutely. Um, Danielle, uh, what was what was your upbringing like and what were you like at school? And, and Mel, uh, after Danielle's uh, answer that question, we'll throw to you the same question if that's okay. But um, what was your upbringing like, Danielle? And why on earth did you end up spending another 30 years at school after you finished? I have previously said before that I think I'm a genetically superior teacher <laughs> because I'm a third generation educator. <laughs> so um, I'm thinking that the gene's been distilled as it's come, you know, mm -hmm. down through the generations. But I um, I initially grew up in Sydney. Actually, I was born at Caringbar, at Sutherland Shire Hospital and grew up near Caringbar oh, wow. in Gomere. And um, then we moved to Canberra in the late 70s and I finished off my schooling here in Canberra and did my education training here and have had pretty much my career, my whole career has been in the ACT. I'm the, um, I have one brother and um, my mum, my brother and I were all here in Canberra. She was a hardworking teacher and then principal and an amazing role model and an inspiration actually, both professionally and personally. Right. So um, I think I had a pretty wonderful upbringing filled with books and, and curiosity and exploring camping around this region of, camp, of um, Australia and down at the south coast and so privileged really um, managed to you know stay at home go to uni and um, live a good life while I was doing all my study yeah yeah so that's kind of me in a nutshell so was there a teacher Danielle that um, that really made a difference I mean you're a, a proud advocate as we all are for for public education and the power that that has to transform lives? And was there a teacher that really made a difference um, in your life at school? And have you had the chance to, to thank them yet? Um, there was more than one, actually. There's been a few significant teachers in my schooling career, both in my primary school and in my secondary. Um, and the irony of living in Canberra is that as I began teaching as, a, as an early career teacher, I taught with one of my teachers from primary school. Oh, wow. So that was a bit of a flip. And I can. <laughs> and some of my high school teachers who I bumped into in my early career at union meetings kind of chuckled that. And I think there was a little bit of karma because I wasn't possibly the easiest student myself. 
Right. Um, and so, which, you know, has stood me in good stead, actually, to be a really empathetic educator and yeah. leader because school isn't doesn't fit for everybody all the time. And having um, kind of an understanding about that, I think, has helped me to, to work with yeah. talented young people. Yeah. And um, what about you, Mel? What was your upbringing like? I understand you were brought up, but were you born in Glenelg in South Australia or were you, did you grow up there? Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. What, were you, what were you like at, at school? Yeah. So um, similar to Danielle, uh, not third generation uh, teachers, but second. Um, my mum and dad uh, both went to the then local public primary school, local public high school, Fairfield Boys, uh, Fairfield Primary School, then Fairfield Boys and Fairfield Girls. Uh, they got married young. They moved to Adelaide. And after I was born, when I was about two or three, they both, uh, mum went to teacher's college and dad went to Flinders University and they scrimped and scraped, scraped to be able to um, have second jobs to be able to pay for my childcare. Uh, I didn't have money. Uh, but everything I recall is loving, caring about books, about education, about the importance of family, the family unit. Yeah. Um, very, very, no money, but very, very privileged. Um, I didn't have any brothers or sisters until I was 10. Um, and we moved back to Sydney when I was uh, about nine, nine or 10, just before my sister was born. Um, so what a unique situation to be away from all of the extended family and only have mum and dad to be the people who cared for, for me, loved me, played with me. Um, yeah. They were learning while I was learning because they were young, um, you know, young parents themselves. And um, here we are. So um, I, I was very compliant at school. Uh, always the goody two shoes. Matt, you wouldn't be surprised. Always the rule follower. Yeah. <laughs> Still the rule follower. <laughs> yeah. Did um was there a teacher, Mel, that that impacted your life? Um and that made yeah. a difference. And yeah. Yeah, uh, like Danielle, not not one. Um you could put them, mold them all in together. You could do like a morph thing and um, you know, teachers that impacted me in primary school and high school and uh teachers that used to this is right, really nerdy and, you know, I'm embarrassed in front of Danielle to say how nerdy I was, teachers that would drive me um, to uh, flute lessons every Thursday after school because mum and dad were um, working, uh, teachers that used to drive me to band camp, <laughs> um, to netball training. You know, I, um, I I did a range of things in music, a range of opportunities in sport, um, you know, really did quite well in all of those um, pursuits, but only because of the people who helped me to get there, like physically helped me get there, drive me there, pick me up, um, you know, two working parents. Um, you know, th those teachers gave me every single opportunity. It's it's incredible. Yeah. I love that. Like Very, I very good. Yeah, it's so powerful, and and I think one of the things I love, like when I when I get to speak to amazing educators like yourselves and researchers and all these people, is there's always a story of a teacher. There's always a story of someone who like took the time to listen to them and 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 really changed their lives. And it, and it reminds me just of the the absolute privilege of our profession, and we get to, <clears throat> as you know, Mel, my little one, um, <clears throat> excuse me, started kindergarten this year, and so. I remember like kissing a goodbye and handing her over to a stranger thinking, oh my goodness. And now I'm on the receiving end of all of the emails and all of the phone calls and 
the homework and the home readers and all of this stuff. But it, it, it is it really is a reminder, I think, of just the incredible privilege that that people trust us every day to raise their kids. Like it's really hard to or to help raise their kids. It's really hard to kind of get your mind around that, um, which is, yeah, it. it, it yeah, sorry, Mark. Yeah. And, and impact that teachers have, every teacher, I haven't met a teacher who chooses to get out of bed to go and have a bad day. Every mm -hmm. teacher that I've had the privilege of working with or leading or befriending, um, you know, they go above and beyond. Um, yeah. Take kids to events on Saturdays. Um, you know, they're doing schoolwork at 8 o'clock on a Saturday night. Um, yeah. You know, full, it, it's a real commitment that I I wonder if uh, I've only ever had my whole career in teaching, so I don't have a comparison, but I wonder if that level of commitment is any in any other field. Yeah, I, absolutely. And, and I do think our amazing profession and our amazing organisation is in many ways built on the goodwill and the, um, the the passion of great teachers. I mean, um, it's incredibly privileged to get a wage to do what we do, but it's also um, it's also built on that goodwill of teachers just really caring and knowing that they are actually getting to make a difference in the lives of young people. Um, I, before we uh, before I jump to your amazing experience at Harvard University, um, I actually just wanted to two, speak to two people that have actually been to Harvard tonight, um, which I think is pretty exciting. <laughs> Um, I, I did just want to quickly ask Danielle, um, what's it like being a principal? Because uh, before we hit record, you said you had a pretty pretty busy day. What's it like? Is it what you thought it was like? Uh, and um, yeah, what's yeah, what's it like running a school? And Mel, we might come back to you in a moment if that's okay. Um, well, I think you mentioned before we did start recording that it's such a diverse job. You're, a, you know you're being a financial manager you're looking after your facility your hr 101 you're a counselor you're an educational leader and you've got to have a good understanding of pedagogical approaches you are supporting families who like you say give a lot of organic trust to hand their most precious little thing over to us every day and you need to be really cognizant of that and um and and then, you know, one of the joys of my day is walking around and interacting with all those little people who, you know, want to show you things and be excited about their learning and, and where they're yeah. up to in their life. So it's what's it like being a principal? I mean, I can't think of another job that is that has so many different components to it and how you just have to kind of code switch yeah. in a microsecond from one thing to the next. And um, I... Um, actually watched a, TED, a short TED talk the other day about, and I can't remember who, who it was, but it was about it was an ER doctor talking about, they never talk about being super busy, they talk about being ready and about that constant, that triaging and constant reprioritising. And I thought actually that's really mm. what leading a really um, complex organisation like a school is is like, is that, that you're kind of ready all the time because you just don't know what's going to come up next. And yeah. Um, um true. my building is 48 years old and so sometimes it's you know physical things that are happening yeah. you know that you weren't expecting yeah um yeah so it's interesting it's busy but super rewarding and um i really enjoy i guess the flexibility i have around yeah. 
changing what I'm doing in a day um, and that it's um, and it's really human intense. Yeah, yeah. Mel, do you have anything else to add to that? I mean, that was a very <laughs> answer, Danielle. There's a lot going on. I, I like that concept, Danielle, of, you know, just being ready. Uh, you never know what's going to come. Um, we had a pretty complex issue that I found out on Wednesday. I pondered my poor DP, uh, you know, every half an hour. Okay, let's ponder this. <laughs> leave leave the, the problem just here for a little while. Let's ponder it. Um, and, uh, you know, we worked out some solutions and I spent the weekend working out how to best share the problem mm. with compassion and care and clarity yeah. so that uh, other people, uh, the, uh, in this example, uh, it was the exec team, weren't scared mm. or nervous or worried, that they felt supported and positive and optimistic and yet understood the problem. And then we uh, spent some time thinking about the problem and solutions and, um, you know, how to solve it. And so then last night... I had the most amazing answers to the problem. And I, you know, those uh, rare moments where you think, man, great job today. That was fantastic. Yeah. Earned yeah. my money today. I feel really good about myself. Um, uh, shared the pro the solution with a few people. And um, then we'll hit with another problem. Okay. Now this is happening. Solve it this way. And um, I'm a pretty good problem solver. I enjoy the maths. I enjoy the financial mathematics, the HR mathematics. I, I, um, I, I strive for term four. I love term four with all of the um, thinking and planning for 2024. But the, some of the things that we have to consider and solve and help other people to get on board with are way beyond some of my wildest dreams. It's, it's a really interesting job. My husband is a tradie and uh, sometimes he says, how do you go to the same place every day? And um, no, no day is ever the same. Yeah. It's that real meld of technical and adaptive leadership all the time. And that's, you just never know when you're going to be pivoting from one to the other. Exactly. So, so you, yeah, I think you've got to also be, um, while you need periods of time where you do deep thinking, but you need to also be able to do fast thinking at certain points in yes. this role, which I think is probably different than, you know, other roles. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Um, and the ability to do the fast thinking can only come by experience in the job. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting role that um, sometimes you have to make decisions on the spot, own it. And and I think Mel, like it's it's yeah. it's really hard for those people that are listening, it, it's really hard to like put into words um how much of an impact um you've had on me professionally because I think one of the many things, the many, many, many things I, I see having the privilege of getting to work um, with you is seeing just the the importance of like giving yourself time because when like an issue happens, um, I've learned that, you know what, it's okay. You can actually go to bed and you can sleep on it and you can come back to it tomorrow. Like no one's in danger. It's going to be okay. And I think another one of the, the, the many things I learned from you, Mel, is the importance of like systems and processes and structures and doing things well, and also like going out and having fun on the weekend. I think that's really important. And being able to switch <laughs> and being able to have a life. And I mean that, Mel, with, with all the respect in the world, you've got to have a life because um, <clears throat> I think if you're not careful, it will become, I mean, full-time teaching is seven days a week. 
um, and I'm sure you're thinking about things all of the time, but you still have people at home that care about you. You still have family, you still have friends. And so um, I think it's really great to see um, it's really great to see that in a principal, someone that can actually like solve these really complex problems and also have a lot of fun while you're doing it. Our school is a wonderful place to work. Um, I had the privilege, um, a, a number, I, I, I had the privilege, privilege twice, sorry, of uh, interviewing Dr. Adam Fraser and he talked about the role of the principals and he said, um, being a principal is by far the hardest job we have ever um, studied and hearing him talk about some of the complexities and like you're saying Danielle being on all of the time really highlights some of that I think it's um the world's toughest job but also I would imagine an incredibly rewarding job um I feel like I could talk school all evening because my wife's not here to tell me to stop talking about school so what I'm <laughs> doing is pivot slightly, uh, Danielle, and just throw to you. And um, you recently had the opportunity of a lifetime, both you and Mel, um, to travel over to Harvard University um, with the Public Education Foundation. So, Danielle, can you tell me a little bit about this organization? And um, yeah, just tell tell me about how you're involved in the organization and you know what the process was like. Yeah, so the Public Education Foundation is a big body who provides lots and lots and lots of scholarships. Um, to students, educators and leaders within the public education sphere. Um, interestingly, because I'm from the ACT, I'm the first ACT principal to be uh, awarded this scholarship. And um, I think a little bit is that the Public Education Foundation is, is very well known within the New South Wales public education system and less so, even though we're surrounded by you guys. Um, with, yeah, so... How I was actually a parent, I had just moved schools and it was a parent from my former school who clicked me an email and said, you should apply for this. And I had been seconded to another school at the time and she said, you know, you needed a referee and, um, and she said, your boss should give you a good referencing. He's stolen you away from us. <laughs> so um, that was kind of how I found out about, about the scholarship actually. Um, and, and then the process was um, I would say actually pretty, it was sort of arduous because it, you had to write a really succinct application. You only had, you could only have 250 word answers for, for these really big questions. Like what's your biggest success in your leadership so far? What's your next biggest challenge? So actually to hone down your answer to, a, to be really clear was, was, kind of hard a hard process but also really really good because it really made me think about you know what to distill down what actually what is core to that success yeah. and what is the root of this problem for instance so um we did that then um seven people were shortlisted from that round and they were all interviewed and so you were cold interviewed no questions in advance to think about your answers you just had to answer to the panel um and then the next day they rang and said wow you know well yeah but so I was um it, it that actual process took months and months and months but then at the end it kind of wrapped up lickety split and it was really quick and I I was um yeah shocked I was thinking oh it'll be another you know be weeks before you're here but but it um wow. they made their decision on the day and then and then let the applicants know really quickly That's so that cool. was the process yeah um and to those that particular scholarship that Mel and I both won are for mid-career principals 
and through, they're sponsored by three different bodies. So the Harvard Club of Australia sponsors one of those scholarships, Teachers Mutual Banks sponsors another, and the Public Education Foundation sponsors the third. So usually annually three principals from Australia attend this leadership program at Harvard in um, the American summer. But the the year that we went, because there'd been a backlog through COVID, there was eight of us, which was actually really great because we sort of became a little network of people then, and which is how Mel and I met. Yeah, that's great. Mel, do you have anything to add to that? Like what was your experience? I mean, the Public Education Foundation yep. seems like a wonderful organisation and getting to go to Harvard, getting a scholarship to go to Harvard is an opportunity of a lifetime. It is huge. But Mel, sorry, do you have anything else to, to add to that? But for sure. Um, so the first thing that everybody needs to know is that I'm really proud of my resilience. So I actually applied in 2022. I was one of the seven that were interviewed when Danielle was successful, but I didn't make it. So uh, Danielle also uh, received the um, scholarship from the Harvard Club of Australia. Am I right, Danielle? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so I got Harvard Club of Australia's uh, scholarship when I reapplied in 2023. Amazing. So that and aren't I lucky to have then gone in 2023 with a, a um, an extended group of um, so three to seven, so four extra people, um, and you know, giving me the opportunity to meet um, Danielle, who of course now is not only my friend and my colleague, but my role model because um, she's just that little bit better than me. We're always just going to know. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think that's right. No. Possibly a little bit older than you. Yeah, that's about it. Um, Mel, yeah, uh, what an amazing privilege. Um, I have known about the scholarship for many, many years. I was a, um, a young deputy principal at Lansvale Public School. Um, I already uh, was aware that John Goh, the principal of Marylands East, so a fairly local school that he had attended, um, and then Scott Davidson was the principal of Cabramatta Public School, which was the closest school to um, me when I was deputy at Lansvale, and to hear Scott come back and share his experiences, um, to me that just at that stage, and and sometime, you know, still now, it felt like it was completely out of the realm of anything that I would ever be able to do. Wow. I held and hold people like Scott and John, Absolutely. subsequently my current principal, Clayton Reedy, um, yeah. uh, Melissa um, from up the road. I held these people into such high esteem that I, when I, I first saw the application as a middle career principal, I, I didn't even think that I would be close to being anywhere near um, that calibre. And um, to get to interview in 2022, on New Year's Eve 2022, somebody asked me what was my proudest moment and my proudest moment was just getting to interview. Oh, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I'm, I'm still so stoked. But then I had the difficulty of in 2023, they're going to know my application. So do I reapply and they're <laughs> going to go, oh, she's the one who didn't get it last year? Or do I, you know, suck up, suck it up, put my big girl pants on and have another go? And I, I'm so proud that I did. I love that, Mel. And what a, what a great lesson in resilience. And I'm sure there are um, Australian um, principals listening to this um, that have, haven't heard of this program. Um, and I'm sure now there'll be people that are wanting to apply for it because, as I said, to get to go 
to get a scholarship to go to um, one of the best institutions in the world for education and to represent public education is an uh, is an amazing privilege. Um, my understanding, Mel, is that there were a range of um, principals from different sectors at Harvard. Is that correct? When you went over there? Yeah. But yet you Daniel, guys represent us, us public education teachers. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, Danielle, but um, there are 100, my understanding is, a, my recollection, 188 principals from all over the world, eight from Australian public education, about yep. another eight from Australian private education. And can I say, we didn't want to talk to those people. Um, and then principals from all countries from all over the world. Um, very high population of um, people from the States, of course, um, highly um, represented from Texas, uh, Chicago, yeah, New York. Do you think that's the most popular cities from yeah. New York? But I think there were also there because I I do remember some of those things that um, confront American educators around not having a national curriculum and that's very mm. state based yeah. because that did come up. Mm. So there were also some. Um, you know, more southern states represented because they had some really strong restrictions about the types of education that they can provide their kids around, particularly around in things like, um, you know, under the health banner around um, rainbow families and um, yeah. I've, I've gender one. gender stuff that that doesn't you know doesn't really impact us in Australia because our curriculum is standardised across the country and is very inclusive. Um, so, so, yeah, there was certainly diversity even within the American cohort. What, what I found interesting returning to Australia was um, there was so much learning in the course that we gained, but there was so much uh, cultural understanding that I gained and all of that led me to be even more passionate and yeah. even more proud about our Australian public education system. Yeah. Um, I, I got it before. I understood it before. I was proud before, but nothing like how I feel now. We are the most well-supported, well-cared for. Um, we provide the most equity of anything that I'm aware of. Yeah, yeah. inclusive. I, I think, I think yeah, um, that inclusion piece that underlies all of our um, public education mm. efforts. Yep. You know, that we, we are really about, like you said, equity, removing barriers for kids no matter what they are. Yeah. That's shone through really strongly, I think, for us. I think we all walked away from that, even though yeah. even within our little group of um, public education foundation um, recipients who mm. are from Queensland, Victoria, New South Wales and the ACT, so we're all, you know, slightly different, but, yeah, there was lots of similarities. I think that, and, and Mel, some of the conversations that I've had with you on your return, um, it, it's really made me feel so proud to be um, to be in public education because it really is a, um, as I mentioned before, there are obviously public, private, independent sectors. I've never been prouder to work in, in public schools and get to serve our communities because it's a... It's a right, uh, I think a human right, that all children have access to a world-class education system and not one that, that you have to pay for. Um, I, of course, we do pay for it through our taxes, but it should be 
uh, equitable and accessible to to everyone. Um, I, I was just wondering, um, Danielle, um, what were sort of some of the take homes um, from the um, the course in Harvard that you went to, uh, and then we might jump more specifically and talk about um, some lessons from a case study uh, from climbing Mount Everest. Uh, but firstly, what are some of those sort of broad ideas or those broad concepts um, from Harvard that you think would be meaningful to uh, the teachers that are listening? Um, look, I, I think when I when I was thinking about it, I think there's that the overarching was around the communication around how education is really a communication business right you you conveying ideas and information to others all the time and so the variety of different speakers kind of were constantly reinforcing that you know like i one of the things that really st stuck with me was the notion of the ladder of inference mm. that anytime you're communicating with others you know, you're bringing your own assumptions and beliefs into what you're giving out. They're perceiving it with their assumptions and beliefs and then you're selecting your data based on that and, and they're interpreting it based on that. So that that for school leaders, I guess, because we're communicating with so many different stakeholders, the staff, the families, the kids, that being mindful around around your communication all the time is yeah really helpful around achieving your goals yeah absolutely. so that yeah so that's like as an overarching thing i was sort of thinking about you know that plays into the leadership style stuff it plays into the technical versus adaptive leadership it's you know it's that how you communicate and what you're bringing into any communication is really important i think you know from, from when I think back to being a beginning teacher, yeah, when you're faking confidence with the kids, like yeah. it, you know, every interaction you have, um, and yeah. we have so many of them every day. Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, uh, Mel, were there any take homes from you? And uh, I'm sure there were many, but a, a couple from the course. And and how has it kind of changed the way that um, you lead um, our wonderful school? Um, I knew you were going to ask this question, so I flicked through my notebook. Um, when we were at um, Harvard, we're in, we were in the Graduate School of Education and we were in a lecture theatre, uh, sitting in rows like you were on an aeroplane. So I had pre-planned my how I was going to take notes and um, I had my MacBook ready and I was going to uh, sit there and pull it all into um, like Google Slides or some sort of uh, system so that everything was ready to go. Um, but we didn't actually physically have enough space. Um, the beauty of the history, uh, the beauty of Harvard is the history. Uh, however, with the history comes, there's no space to sit there with a, with a MacBook. Um, so I took a, a um, an old school notebook and a pen. Uh, my pen actually died and I had to use a pen that they gave me um, because we just took copious notes. Um, and also Danielle's left-handed, so we worked out how to balance the left <laughs> hand and the right hand. And yeah. <laughs> so I flicked through that book this afternoon and you'd be the same, Danielle. We, we, we were learning for seven days straight from an 8.15 start till there was one day where Danielle and I, because, you know, I'm the nerd, um, you know, and she wanted to come to. We're in Harvard, you know, so we, we did an extra class that finished at 6. Was extra? Yeah. Yep. 
Right. Yeah. So, you know, full on uh, seven days a week uh, couldn't have been more intense. I, I can't name one thing. Every part, I wanted to pick out one thing to be able to share back to you today, um, Matt. And uh, the learning uh, was reflective. It was uh, time for us to think about our own goals and our own behaviours and the reasons about why they won't change. Um, it gave us time to uh, think about, Daniel mentioned before, technical leadership and adaptive leadership and what that means for us as a leader and what, what I can, how I can uh, bring that back to my executive team and what we can do with that. Um, you spoke about how I've already shared back at school um, as a voluntary um, session of, of professional learnings, um, the case study of Mount Everest and uh, what happened in this disaster and what that means for us as leaders in a school, what lessons we can learn from, um, yeah. you know, previous well, lesson yeah. from history. Um, yeah, we we uh, were confronted with some conversations about racism, yeah. a, a, an interesting topic uh, for Australian uh, families, Australian people, and yet such a unique topic for American culture. Hmm? Yeah. It was really interesting to see uh, the difference between our respect and care for our uh, First Nations people and the the the, the racism uh, of yeah. how the, the priority of uh, helping racism in America is to do with um, the, the the black people and black slavery and yeah. you know so, so it was just um, yeah I can't name one thing yeah I, 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 it's um the... if, I could, if I could I'd get our exec team together <laughs> or our Campbelltown network of principals or whoever wanted to listen and uh, Daniel there could easily be um six months worth of yeah. fortnightly two-hour sessions yeah without yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah we I could, I could put that together Daniel and I could put that together and people would come and it would be great yeah. But we don't have time for that because we're principals. <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like a whole there's a whole podcast series in just lessons from Mel and Danielle. Yeah. And Let, yeah. Which is <laughs> and I, I, I tell you what, it, this it could it, be well maybe this could be our offshoot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a reason why the course is so highly regarded. Yeah. And 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 I get it now. I thought I'd come back and I'd have I can share this, 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 and this. Um, you know, I used that word ponder before, but there's um there's much to take in and there's much mm. to think about. And um prioritizing needs of um colleagues is um is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And and that's why um Harvard is the best in the world, because there is just the standard and the rigor of um uh, pedagogy and theory and implementation they've been doing it a long time and I think it's you you both definitely sold um this opportunity wonderfully because I think there's there's just so much there and and I did want to briefly touch base uh, sorry touch on uh the uh, the Harvard case study um and I'll put a link in the show notes so everybody can access it and Mel you did a really um wonderful uh, professional uh um, learning session with our staff and it was really lovely around this method the case study and it was really lovely seeing so many people there in their own time volunteering to come and hear about this case study um I was just wondering um and we we might I'd just start with you Mel first and then maybe throw to Danielle but um tell me about the Everest case study uh why is it so significant um and then yeah Danielle will just leapfrog off uh, off Mel 
so uh was it 1996 i've forgotten the date i'm I gonna say so. yeah i think so a, a disaster happened on mount everest yeah and what we were led through uh were the series of events from uh different teams of explorers um even down to the con learning the concept of you know why, why do people do these risky behaviors um you know what what's in it for them uh what what types of people do these risky types of behaviors hmm. who are the leaders um who are the people that are, actually have all the knowledge and are they the leaders should they be the leaders hmm. um i was really interested in the mistakes of the of the actual leadership processes yeah. um i thought it was an easy read an interesting read um for all staff in our school we i, I opened it up voluntarily to to all staff not just i did not invite the exec i said anybody who'd like to do this and um one of the things that i learned was about the concept of the sherpas yeah. and their knowledge of the mountain knowledge of the weather patterns knowledge of history knowledge of what works what doesn't and how in these two case studies the sherpas had the least amount least amount of power and the least amount of prestige yeah and um as our group of professional learning um colleagues um at blairmount we considered who were the Sherpas in our school and what can we do to raise the esteem and the knowledge and the power of our um, possibly people who are at the lower end of a yeah. traditional hierarchy and yet have the most knowledge of some of our kids. It's funny, um, it's interesting you mentioned that, Mel, because when I looked around the room when you did that voluntary PL for our team, there was everybody from all aspects of our school life so there were executive there was senior executive there was yourself and um, experienced teachers first year teachers slso's it was mm. just a really wonderful uh, cross-section of our school community and that whole idea of the the sherpa like you said that the person that is actually um in in this case paid the least and maybe at the bottom of the quote-unquote hierarchy was actually actually the group of people that knew the most about this uh, about the challenges and it's it was really um interesting that whole idea of uh, like top-down leadership and sort of reverting the the pyramid mm. i think was really yeah. cool danielle did you have anything else to add to that because there, i mean there is so much in this case study but was there anything that really stood out to you um well i think it, you sort of alluded to it when you're talking about the top-down leadership i guess what was lacking was a culture of challenge yeah. because because also there there was sort of also, um you know there were the trek leaders and um you know one who chose to return and one who yeah. chose to push through and that kind of then that that's how this disaster kind of i guess really happened in that in it was that um you know pig-headed pursuit of, mm -hmm. of the end game yeah um and yeah so but but there were also even kind of in that middle bit in between the shirkers and the and the trek leader there there were other people who were concerned who didn't raise any challenge yeah. and and so i guess that was that thing that i took away around developing a culture of safety mm -hmm. within your organization so that that anyone who sees you know a problem can can raise it um you know that's an important component to that and that how do you you know how do you do that how do you because the, the reality is within any organization there is a hierarchy and 
you know, there are some people that go to car park and some people that don't. And so how do you, how do you build that um, yeah. culture of, of psychological safety so that people do feel able to challenge when there's something that doesn't sit right with them? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's this is my second school that I've been at where I have done what I thought was a really small thing around let's everybody's called by their first names which has been a massive massive culture shift within my school and I mean I kind of wish I had the Mount Everest thing to read but I'd already made the change because of that that the culture for in my system is that the non-teachers the support assistants are pretty much always called by first names and teachers are always Mr and Mrs we had this real you know disconnect between um the formal educators and and yeah so now we're shifting i'm into the second year of that of of we're all by first name and it's about how you how you talk to people not what you call them yeah but it's kind of leveling that out a bit right that everybody yeah we speak to with respect to everybody and and it's really great kind of tells anyway so my my little bit of innovation yeah, that's well, Danielle. Like, like, and and this is another. Um, I should write a book. Lessons, lessons from Mel. And one one of the many things Mel's taught me is like the little things like really matter. Like how like a school looks, how it feels, how people feel when they come to yeah. work. Um, the culture yeah. of place, like it actually like matters. And we were even recently. Um, uh, 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 sorry, I was recently in a meeting with Mel and and a wonderful exec team and. Um, it was really wonderful to see how like everyone's opinion was valid, valid, and um, uh, and it was it was I think Mel, you said something which was really interesting. You said like I will take on board everyone's opinion and then use it to make the decision that we need to make as a school. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing you here, um, but that was I, I think what that meant is regardless of what people's point of view or opinions are that counts and it's important I think like you said it forms part of the decision which you and and our senior exec eventually um, have to make um and I think it was it was just a really nice reminder that um we all get a say in this whether what we whether our opinion actually sorry whether our views actually get ultimately implemented is not the point the point is that we all get to say hey this is what I think or this is my opinion and it's it's one of those as I said those little big things where people feel that they can put their hand up have an open conversation in that room and then you've done your bit you've said what you think and whatever happens happens um but, but that whole idea I think Danielle of I think it's Amy Edmondson's work talking about psychological safety is is so important and um, I've worked environment in environments where that has not been the case, um, and it's something which I do not take for granted for one day working in a school where that is really important. And I think the thing that really stuck out to me from the article was, um, and it didn't mention, it didn't actually use these words, but the whole idea of the sunk cost fallacy. Um, and I was having a conversation um uh, I know some of the work that Dr. Simon Breakspear is recently doing is around that, about how we invest time and money into things and we just keep going because we've invested time and money into things. But yeah, but sometimes we actually need to be brave and say, oh, we went at this too quick or too fast. We need to pivot and it's not a waste because we've actually learned from this. Um, and I think sometimes we can all, myself included, we I overcommit all of the time and then I have too much ego to be able to say actually that wasn't a great idea. I need to stop that. Um, 
and it's a good lesson isn't it that sometimes you can actually pivot um would you would you agree with that mel is that something which which is sort yeah. of that to you that uh having that uh defined for me in a term um i thought was um uh yeah it it, it changed my thinking about uh we had just finished external validation at our school yeah. And so it changed my perception of um, how we evaluate, uh, what what we're evaluating. We do things very mathematically and um, objectively, uh, but is there still that some cost effect of we're still going to go with it because we, we've paid, we've already paid, we're, we're totally. in it. Yeah. Yeah. And so you don't want to seem silly. Not that you know you yeah. don't want to seem like you've sort of jumped the gun. And sometimes, but I get it, and we. Yeah, I think that's a really important for me, especially like an ego check to go, oh, yeah. we actually need to make a decision. And um, the team that came back down the mountain. Yeah. That yeah. were brave enough. So yeah. we're the, flex the flexibility. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So important. Uh, uh, Daniela Mel, I, I do want to be respectful of your time. I, I, I honestly feel like I could. I could talk to a group of wonderful teachers all day. Uh, my wife is currently engaged in some other work, so I get a, a free pass to get to talk about school midweek. Um, but I did want to just ask you a couple of final questions. Um, and I'm so incredibly grateful to get to get to get to send this conversation out into the world and for people to to hear about your amazing experience at Harvard and, and hopefully it encourages a group of people to apply because uh, it seems to have been so transformative to for you but just one more question for each of you and um, we might start with you uh danielle um what are you excited for in public education and what what keeps you going every day you mentioned you've been doing it for 30 years um what excites you and what keeps you going um uh look i fundamentally believe that a quality education changes people's life trajectories yeah. So that's what keeps me going is that that I have we have young people coming in through the door every day. And if we do what we should be doing, give them the right tools to move on, mm -hmm. the world really is their oyster. Anything yeah. is possible with enough grit and determination if if you've got a really solid basic education. So that's what kind of gets me out of bed every morning is that I'm excited to that's what I want to be providing as a high quality education experience to every young person who walks through our door. Um, there was a second part to that question and I've forgotten I got all excited then about Yeah, looking forward, what are you excited uh, for in New yeah, South Wales look, look, looking for amazing changes? Yeah, okay. Uh, look, I think, I, um, yeah, well, you know, actually, one of the things that I took away from Harvard, which was like a little aside, was actually how similar it is like we there were 188 people from all over the world and we're really facing the same kinds of challenges and having the same kinds of successes so actually i you know i do hear a lot about you know my context and this is different and that and you know and i actually i'm i'm more like actually now with the global world look at us we're all sitting in different places and we're having this conversation all together mm, it's amazing actually we're more the same than we are different and so i'm kind of excited about educational opportunities are not now limited by where you live yeah. how much money you've got you know like if we've got and i guess that sort of nearly goes back to cigar mitra's stuff around high speed internet means anybody can access anything so we don't have to worry about you know i mean we, we that opportunity to actually go to harvard and walk through the buildings and 
you know, be bathed in the ambiance from 1636 was like absolutely life changing. But you can also do Harvard Online and get excellent quality learning from Sydney or Canberra. So actually, you know, there's no limits on, on us continually improving and growing and becoming better and better and better at what we do and providing absolutely cutting edge innovation to our kids tomorrow. Love that. Mel, what would you add to that? What are you excited for in terms of public education and uh, what what keeps you going every day? I think I know the answer to that second one. How, how do you beat Danielle's answer? Uh, clearly that's why um, she beat me in the interviews. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, so many things. Public education, we're at this uh, point in time where our our communities i think have never been more needy of yep. access to care yeah and happiness and joy and schools like ours we feed our children we feed our families with hampers we give them free uniforms free, free hats and we we have this care that doesn't happen in other systems right. and it makes me really really proud because if we can get kids to want to come to school, I know the research about attendance and the attendance data and attendance strategies, I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about kids to want to be at school and to want to be with their friends and to be excited to see their teacher. If I can just get them to be there and love school, the rest of everything will work out for them. Yeah, I'm really excited. We've got great people in yeah. our communities, in our school, We've got kids that skip in the gates. We've got families that are appreciative and uh, kind, and we we do our absolute best. And it makes that's what gets me out of bed. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Mel. Um, I uh, I remember something that um, the, the first person I ever chatted to said, uh, Richard Gerber. He said that I wanted his job was he wanted to as a principal wanted to make school like Disneyland because there's no attendance concerns at Disneyland because people just go because it's fun. Um, and I just thought that was a really nice analysis how like I'm actually excited if kids are not at school and they feel like they've missed out on something because yeah. it's great because we are building these amazing cohesive communities. And, and I just believe mm -hmm. with my whole heart that public education is going to be and is the thing that transforms communities because I've seen it. We've all experienced it. We all had that teacher or those teachers that made a difference in our life and and to get to play a small part in transforming the lives of a young person is pretty exciting. Like, I can't believe we get paid to do this. It's almost seems, it almost seems ridiculous that we would get paid <laughs> to do this. It's an incredible privilege. And final question for both of you, um, before I promise that we wrap up, um, if, there is, if there's someone out there that's listening to this, that is thinking about applying um, for the Harvard scholarship, uh, what would you say, Danielle? And then we'll throw to Mel. I would say apply. Don't don't think twice about it. Have a go. And Mel, like, you know, I were going through that process. I was like, Mel, I was like, if I get shortlisted, that will be amazing. Like that yeah. would be fantastic. This is yep. open to the whole country. So um, I've never been more blown away than getting the phone call that I was a successful applicant. It has been affirming and validating about what my approach to leadership is that that I feel 
that I was on the right track. I think the Harvard experience for both Mel and I was also affirming for us about the journeys that we are on with our schools that are in different areas but have lots and lots of similarities, which I think is part of why we've maintained our connection because we also share the joy about doing the work around creating wonderful schools of learning for our whole community. Um, so, I, yeah, all I would say is is apply and if you don't, if you're not successful, keep applying. Apply again and again and again and keep and keep getting better at your craft because if you're not a lifelong learner, what are you doing in education? Exactly. I guess would be my question. Yeah. yeah. Mel, for someone that's listening to this, driving to work, battling Sydney traffic or battling <laughs> Sydney traffic, what would you say if they were thinking about applying for this? Um, look me up and I'll help you. <laughs> we want as many people as we can to apply. Um, yeah. Imagine uh, a possibility where... Um, the Public Education Foundation or other sponsors, other donors, were able to offer more than three Australian principals every year. Um, you know, this is a, an opportunity that, that genuinely has been life-changing, but but not in a not not in a, a superficial manner, not in just a, a like a language way. Uh, you know, a, an, an actual experience that I wholeheartedly have taken with me. So call me and I'll I'll help you. I'd love to help. And I know Mel will. She, she's always helping people. She's always <laughs> picking up the phone. Um, so for those people... Matt, that Matt, if you do my playground duty, then I'll help whoever it is that calls me. Done. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. if you're battling Sydney's traffic, you should move to Canberra. Yeah. <laughs> Danielle, I'll come down and do your playground. Okay, no problem. No. Well, Mel and Danielle, thank you so much for um, for your time. I know it's a weeknight uh, in term four. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of other things that you could be doing, but I really appreciate you um, giving me the opportunity and, and, and trusting me with your Harvard story because it is a really significant one. And my hope is that there would be teachers um, listening to this uh, all over the world and all throughout Australia that would that have never considered applying for the scholarship that would actually go yeah that could be for me and so my encouragement to anyone listening is just have a go and if you don't make it the first time have a go and if you don't make it the second time have a go just keep going because it it, it sounds like something which is really transformative um, and will continue to make a huge difference um, in the lives of the most important people, uh, which are the young people that we get to, we get to teach. So, thank you so much for your time. Um, I hope that you get um, to have some rest this evening, and I can't wait to get this out to the world. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. And I've also created a private Facebook group where we continue the discussion there. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode.